0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman.
1: And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now.
0: Today's topic is culture and community, how cultural destinations impact community and property development.
1: We are really excited to have today Walid Wahab, the founder and president of Wahab Construction, a boutique construction firm in Miami that has been a leader in the high-end commercial and residential construction market for 28 years. Walid, welcome.
2: Thank you, good to be here.
1: Uh, perhaps you could give us a few minutes on your background and um, your involvement in the community.
2: Um, so, um, born in Venezuela to Lebanese parents, Um, uh, lived pretty much all over the world because um, of, mostly because of the civil war in Lebanon in the the 70s. And into the 80s, we uh, had to move around, but then we ended up going back to Venezuela, graduating high school, moving to Miami as every other good Latino in 1980 to come to school. And um, I have, um, I attended the University of Miami Um, with a degree in architecture and civil engineering, and then moved to Washington, D.C. to get my master's in business. Um, It's an interesting title called logistics Operations and Materials Management. After D.C., I decided to open up my own business pretty much out of college, Um, and I understood that I needed to come back to Miami, D.C., and most of the Northeast was very well established and miami was this uh, moving city this transitioning city and i always thought to myself um that it would be easier to start any business in miami so um worked with a friend of mine for several months and then started this business uh, some time ago and um it's been a, a good ride since it's, it's since uh, 1992 it's been um uh, uh, we've uh, we built some of the most interesting projects, uh, always on the high end, always on a very upscale. Um, and um, it's pretty much a projects that very few can build because of the features, architectural features, designs. Uh, they just take so much more effort. But that's the only thing we like to do. And we've been very successful at it. Um, uh, I, I also want to mention my involvement in the arts and perhaps why um, you two decided to include me in this podcast. The, when you go to architecture school, um, architecture awakens the art in every student. Uh, there's history of art, one, two, three, four. There's history of architecture, one, two, three, four, and they're very intertwined. You almost can't separate them. Back in the old days, architecture and art were one. When you were building these churches, the churches were pieces of art, and then all of the art and the stained windows were pieces of art. And artisans used to be commissioned to, to just build about everything, including including the, the, the furniture and woodwork um, in these buildings. So the collaboration between art, architecture, and construction has been ongoing since the beginning of time. Um, uh, my interest in art got me um, got me started in looking at art and buying art, art that we can afford, and um, and in, 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 I, it caught the attention of several clients of mine that had become good friends. And eventually, I was recruited to the board of the uh, Perez Art Museum and the board of the Frost Science Museum. As a matter of fact for several years, I think for, for six years, I was the only trustee on both museums. Um, uh, furthermore, I have been involved in many other museums at several capacities at the Guggenheim in the Middle East Council. I'm about to join the Latin American Council at the Guggenheim in New York. Um, Art Basel, uh, through a good friend of mine, uh, Susie and I bo- were both part of the original junior ambassadors back in the days we were considered juniors. And uh, so this has been, um, this has been l- mostly for my mind and, but also for my way of life and for business. Um, very, very positive. So,
0: so thanks for that background. It's pretty impressive. So, um, so the culture and community, right? It's, you know, culture by definition, according to Webster, uh, includes the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement. Well, when I think of culture and community, I think of the arts, right? I think of museums, concert halls, galleries, and the armies of people who create and work at those places. You know, all of which are are, are the heart uh, and soul, you know, of communities. But they just don't appear overnight. You don't you don't you know walk into a community and all of a sudden all that all that stuff is there. Can you give us a little bit of an insight about what goes into thinking about? putting a museum or a gallery or housing people in a particular community that enriches it so much?
2: So, um, needless to say, I'm a believer that arts and community, uh, arts in a community are a must. And it's been very interesting. Miami is a new city. and We have learned from the older cities that a museum is built when the, when, when the residents of a city have a substantial collection to give. And then the museum takes a collection and becomes very powerful. And then there's an endowment that follows and it just keeps feeding each other. Uh, of course, in the cases of New York and Chicago and Boston and uh, and going to Europe to the major cities. Miami is very different. Uh, Miami is the arts came too late. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with, with civic engagement, and I think it had a lot to do with government. Governments in those um, older, more established cities think differently than governments down here. Um, in the sense of when Miami was ready for a museum, it was not the government that came to the people of Miami. He said, you know what? Let's give you a piece of land and let's let's build a museum together. It was the civic engagement of concerned citizens in Miami that went to the government and told them, we have an idea. We need a museum. You have this piece of land. Why don't we form a partnership, private-public partnership, and build a museum for the city? But it all started with the residents and with the private community. Uh, of course, at the time, um, um, we've had some great mayors. At the time, Mayor Manny Diaz, who was sort of ahead of his time as far as as far as what uh, makes a great city, um, very friendly with the mayor of LA and the mayor of Chicago at a time, and he fed from them, and vice versa. And he pushed it. He pushed it as hard as any other uh, government officer could have pushed it, and he made it happen. It was really difficult. I remember at the time I was not on any of these boards, but I knew many of the trustees of the Paris Art Museum and the Frost. And I remember these people spending 10 hours a day in hearings and bond hearings and and, 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 and land hearings. And it's almost like more than a full-time job. So that dedication got us to where we are today. They understood, and at the time, Mayor Diaz understood that for Miami's future and well-being, we had to bring the high culture in.
1: Well, that's a tremendous museum, the Pérez. As a matter of fact, you and I met because you were were generous enough to allow me to join the Collector's Council for a few years, and I really got to know the people behind the museum and the museum as well. Um, What do you think the impact has been now that Perez is up and running, on the city of Miami, uh, either within the community or as a destination for people who visit?
2: Well, if I, I, I hope I'm not completely biased, but as I travel and people ask me, where are you from? And I tell them I'm from Miami. The first thing they mention is the Miami heat. And then they mention... <laughs>
1: The, they mean I'll the beach. You mean being on the beach and sweating, you mean, or the basketball team? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll let you guess that one. Uh, they do mention being on the beach and sweating, which is a pleasure for many. And they mention the, the Paris Art Museum, you know, the piece of architecture, whether they've been to it or not, it's in every photo that, that shows Miami or downtown Miami, that imposing building, a piece of art on its own um it's just what identifies miami today and you will experience that when you travel these are some of the things you know 20 30 years ago you said you're from miami and and everything that it was invoked was miami vice right miami vice it was all i, I you know you guys are uh, you were not living in miami back in the days but that's all that identified miami miami vice and the deco colors and and the turquoise and pink outfits etc it has evolved, but I don't critique the Miami Vice uh, era. Uh, everything that has happened in Miami has been a foundation to what Miami is today, right? The migration of, of, of the Cubans and the Haitians and every other Latin American, um, you know, then then uh, that's really started Miami. And that diversity of this city is, of course, what makes these museums want to excel because these museums have to represent everybody in this town and it's much much tougher than being in a museum where there's not such diversity
1: listen I would, to- I don't I don't think you should knock Miami Vice the unconstructed
0: jacket and t-shirt is a very comfortable look and those espadrilles but so <laughs> so so that's a really good point that you make uh, Waleed in the sense that um the art, in fact, has an impact or an influence on the brand of a city. Uh, you know, when you think about um, the, when, it, when it came to planning the development and architecture of the Perez Art Museum, were they thinking that this was going to really change the narrative around Miami as a city when they were thinking about which architects, how much money to spend? Um, you know, you, you, Miami has a particular unique um, uh, brand now because of Perez, but there are other cities that have, have in some cases, transformed their own um, image as a, as it relates to their artistic community and what that looks like.
2: Um, Yes, Alex. Uh, You know, the the reality is that the Paris Art Museum wanted a star architect, a star architect. And star architects sell. They've been selling for many years. Basically, you know, uh, know, of course, we don't need to go back to Bilbao. No one knew where Bilbao or what Bilbao was. And now all of a sudden, everybody knows what Bilbao is. And it's... It's, you have got to give 100% of that credit to Frank Gehry's museum and the building. And so people started understanding that architecture was such an important factor. And I don't know what took us so long. Why do you go to New York and Paris and London? Not because of the weather, you go because of the architecture, because the first thing that strikes you is the beauty of a city. Whether it's Paris because of perfection, New York because of its grit, yet, immense power in these high-rises uh, or, or chicago um so so architecture attracts tourists and it attracts people and um, we went through a period of time where architecture wasn't really that important to, for for developers but then many i would say about 20 25 years ago um people started understanding wait a minute you know we need a star architect and it doesn't mean that regular architects don't do a as great job star architects like star uh, pop singers like uh, like star uh artists they just command more attention faster that's all so uh, i the perez art museum i remember they went number one they had the most impressive construction committee Uh, As a contractor, none of the people in this committee were contractors or architects, but they knew more about construction architecture than I did. And they really got engaged and they flew. They flew to Europe. They flew to North America. They flew everywhere to visit these buildings, these museums of the architects that were being considered. And it was an exhaustive effort. And there was a lot of back and forth. And... I, I do believe that, that they chose Herzog de Meuron. I do believe that they made the right decision. And, uh, you know, back in the days, we didn't know, but today we can prove it. The building is, the building is not only beautiful, uh, the building is very Miami. I don't know if you know this, but many of the li- listeners might be interested to know that the two things that inspired the architects to design the, the structure is the Banyan Tree of Florida, which has this huge canopy that throws the roots down. And then when they hit the ground, they become columns. And the um, houses, the floating houses, uh, down by um, Key Biscayne, Stiltsville, they were taking for a tour of Miami and they were shown the Everglades, Stiltsville. And so Stiltsville, they understood that they wanted to elevate the building for flood, just elevated. Those houses look great. 50, 70 years later, they look great. And then they created this canopy, which is the main roof of the building. The galleries are hanging from the roof, and it throws all these columns down. So the brilliance of architects that come into a city, spend some time going around, and and figure what they're going to give that city back that identifies with the city and its people is impressive. and, and so that's what happened here. Uh, the, the Paris Art Museum selected um, Herzog de Meuron, the building. The other thing that is worth mentioning is the materials that they selected. They selected poured in place concrete, indestructible, and it ages beautifully. They selected teak, ages beautifully, and they selected glass. And And they gave us views everywhere. As we all know, museums don't want windows, they want walls uh, to exhibit art. I I remember a conversation with the architects and they said, there's no way you're gonna have a windowless gallery on this site. This is one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful site we have ever worked with. Every gallery will have a window. And so again, great stories that developed into the yeah,
0: that's interesting you mentioned the the location right i think that um uh perez art museum lucked out in a way that is it it's beautifully situated at the same time it's Fairly accessible to the community in which it serves, right? And so, you know, it, when you think about um, in in various different parts, different cities in the United States and around the world, you know, a lot of the the, the museums and the cultural institutions are accessible, right? You can you can you can get to the MoMA, or the Met with the Metro Card. Um, some cities, not so much. You know, you look at the Getty, beautiful uh, on a mountaintop, but it's far away um, from the community uh, as, as it can be. Right. And so I think they have a (laughs) moment. Right. So, um, but I think it's important to be able to have a great balance, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you think about the reflection of both the, um, as you mentioned, the, uh, the, the environment, uh, the communities with the stilts, uh, but also reflection of the, the access in which the communities can actually be able to appreciate, um, this is, is, is quite important.
2: Yeah, um, excellent point. So uh, museum and community, you know, we go back to community, which is your first word in this conversation. It is about community. It is about access. It is about access to everyone in the community. It is about representing everyone in the community. It's about bringing every child from every school in that community to the museum. Um, If you want to build a museum in its own mountain, then... You know, you better have the billion dollar endowment. And that's what happens. You know, the Getty came with it, it's, I don't know what the endowment is today, but certainly over a billion. Um, and so, yeah, you want to build a mountain and you want to, you know, make it. And the intent was not to make it difficult to access because Richard Meyer, the architect, is a hero of mine. Um, but the intent was to make an experience wow, you know, so you, you first get there, you have to drive because it's right off the highway, no one can walk there. And then when you get there, you queue in the line and then you take the little train up. And then when you're up there, you're in Nirvana, right? Shangri-La. Um, when, you, when you go to these museums that make a point of, of being in a, a most dramatic and beautiful landscape, you have to have that endowment that you really, you know, you're okay. You know, everybody come, but you know, (laughs) not everybody has to come. right. right?
1: Right. Well, let me ask you this, Um, Walid. just in terms of the impact, um, you're obviously a very successful businessman. I imagine when people were having the conversations, when people were going to the government and said, we want a museum, we need a museum, there must have been some conversation of how it will impact the community financially in a positive way Sarasota, for example, their their nonprofit cultural community generates almost $300 a year for the Mm -hmm. community in in economic impact, which just generates more interest in creating more culture. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you have any feedback on that in terms Mm of, I mean, you're obviously involved with the Science Museum, which has turned out to be tremendous and right in the same location as Perez, which was a very smart move so that people could go from one to the other, you know, not unlike Berlin and their island of museums do you have any information or does or or does Miami keep track of the impact economically of these institutions?
2: I'm sure Miami does. I don't have that information for you right now uh, but I know Miami quantifies that information. Um, there's uh, you know worth mentioning we could not have a art community conversation without talking about the Knight Foundation and the Knight Foundation is um, i remember many years ago they commissioned a study and it was a nationwide study uh, about what makes people want to move to a city and to everyone's surprise you know we had parks schools art and culture um, weather etc etc art and culture made it to the top almost in every one of these studies and I remember they distributed that study maybe 10 years ago, I'm, I'm sure it's available. And it was kind of a wake-up call of how Americans really yearn for art in a community. Um, today, uh, I can tell you, though, uh, related to your question, uh, not as much the museum, because we have Paris uh, Art Museum, the Bass Museum, the Ica Museum, the Mocha Museum. I mean, we have some great, great institutions in Miami. And then without even going into the private collections that are even more impressive. Um, today, the arts in Miami, and, and there's a direct link between the arts in Miami, Art Basel, and the uh, economic benefit to miami Date
0: and
1: Excellent. You know, it's funny you make you a make big interesting comment about uh, neighborhoods, etc. And Alex brought out an interesting comment about that. In my experience, whether it's Soho in New York, or Wynwood in Miami, or downtown LA, neighborhoods that are more industrial, that are more rundown, artists congregate there, it's cheaper to live there, it's cheaper to have warehouses to work, to house your art, to do, to do the things that the creative, the, the creative processes. And that then follows with bars and restaurants and commercial space and residential and then things that you might get called into expensive homes, expensive construction. Do you see that as as a real trend? And is that what has happened in Miami or what is happening in Miami, whether it's Wynwood, et cetera? And how does that play into maybe your business?
2: Yes, unfortunately, um I, I can I benefit from it. But it's very unfortunate. I think I mean I can benefit from many other things, but I um, it's unfortunate to me when I see a neighborhood of creative artists uh, having to leave because of the rates going up. Um, of course, it, it happens everywhere. It is a very American thing, more than European or other or, or, or other places. Um, uh, I think developers here are much more aggressive. Uh, of course, we've seen it in New York. Today, there isn't an artist um, an up and coming artist that can live in Manhattan, right? Then they went to Brooklyn. They can't live in Brooklyn. Then they went to Greenpoint. They can. So you know how far do they have to go? And frankly, you know, 20, 30 years ago when we went to New York, I used to love to go walk by Chelsea uh, and by uh, uh, the Lower East Side, and there were all these artists in halls, in the walls, painting and stuff. None of that anymore, right? Now it's all of these expensive galleries. They're still beautiful to look at, but we uh, the, the gentrification of these areas and the restaurants and and the rents going up and the values going up i think it's very hurtful we we uh, in miami it's happened it's happened to the point where you know i'm involved with the new world school of the arts and i'm involved with a couple of the local arts organizations the artists are starving for space these kids are graduating from the new world school of the arts one of the best schools in America. I think it's a top three or a top five. And they can't find room to work. So I, I dedicate the, the, the lower level of my office building to them. So there's a two or three artists in residence since I bought the building. And they just work. We give them a stipend. They work down for a year, and then they move on. And then people like Craig Robbins and Rosa de la Cruz and, and many of the local art patrons, uh, uh you know they they will try to accommodate but there isn't enough room and so then they went to winwood and of course winwood we can't even go to winwood today so what fun is winwood without the artists um uh, you can't even park your car now right it's <laughs> rest etc um and, uh, and so then they went to Little Haiti, and then they went to west of Biscayne and west of the Northeast Corridor, but now there's major, major developers, as you know, that are buying up all of Little Haiti.
0: and You know, it seems as if that it would make sense is to create um, an area for just housing um, communities for artists, right? I mean, sort of live work that's dedicated for artists specifically, um, so that in a way um, you can continue to fuel um, the artistic integrity of a community rather than having it move from one place to the other. I mean, New York's a great example. Soho used to be the place, now it's turned into like the shopping mall. (laughs) Uh, And then it moved to Chelsea and that, you know, that's the place now, it's moving to Queens. And so so just things are just moving. As a result, you're leaving this sort of vacuum uh, where once was a great artistic community, then became a great commercial artistic community that then now became sort of a wasteland of, of shopping centers and retail, the high end. And then and then that's it. And so it, how do we keep the artistic integrity and the, the artistic um, uh, community where it needs to be?
2: Yeah, it is, it is a tough question and there's no answer to it. There's just no money in artist studio. They're all starving. You have uh many art patrons in Miami. I can name so many that are actually giving cash to rent spaces to give them to artists. It's just, hey, not it's not my building. I have the downstairs. I could rent it for thousands of dollars a month. A month. You know, I don't, you know, I own the building. It's a small little building. It costs me nothing. So if everyone had a little bit more of that attitude, I think it would work. But that's not that's not the attitude in this society.
1: Could you give those names again of who's giving out cash exactly? <laughs> you
0: know, it, it, all this stuff reminds me of back in the day when, um, you know, it, it, when New York City was was bubbling and bustling, and this is this is the the late '80s, and everyone was living in these large, spacious lofts of which people painted and did and had parties and that good stuff. And that used to be the the place that you wanted. I remember I always wanted to live in a a beautiful loft in downtown Manhattan. Uh, and those things, those t- times have changed. It seems, and the the way the living like an artist. Uh, in a way is is sort of less um, less desirable and now uh, beautiful multi-million dollar homes are being built that look more of like galleries and where people now want to look like Mm. uh, or feel like they're surrounded by art, not to create it um, but maybe to to appreciate it, and how has that changed yeah. uh, the way people look at their homes, their interior design, the architecture of their personal spaces, and where is that going? And how is it um, being influenced by the the trends that we're seeing in the art, in the artist community?
2: Well, you know the uh, the I ended up my last um, my last minute in a somber note about the artists being displaced and not having enough space. there's a positive a huge positive side to the arts and that is that more and more people want art more people are collecting they're buying uh, at every level um i don't know about the two of you you know my parents didn't collect art my parents bought their art in the furniture store right the living room came with a painting whoa and and and, uh, oh, so I didn't go up with you. I'm collecting art, and I guarantee you that my two boys are collecting art. I mean, I shouldn't say collecting. They're buying art. And uh, but they're buying art that they can afford, and every once in a while they'll say, oh, you know, we like this piece, and we'll buy it for them, and it's hanging in their apartment. But it's great because they like art. So the demand for art is bigger every day, every day. And so which is great because then the artists are going to be able to hopefully find a place and work and sell their art. Um, exactly. Today, Alex, I, you know, houses and penthouses and offices are being built around the art. And that, I, I, I mean, I want you to take that exactly the way I say it. I mean, they are designing the hallway and the main living room wall and that wall on the left and on the right for the piece of art that's going to go on that wall. And I think that's great, I think that's great. And so the focus on art, I don't think uh, at, the, at that level, I don't think you can, uh, you want to build a beautiful house or a beautiful tent house or a beautiful anything and not have art that matches it. So when your friends come over, it's an entire, you know, you have sometimes curated furniture or not, but the art needs to be there. And I, I see that, you know, whether you like the art or not, People, art has become uh, a very, very important part. The, the penchant for art by the new generation, I'm considering myself in my 50s a new generation, and then our children
1: is, is growing every day. And I think that's very good. I think that's excellent. I'm curious your expertise in terms of the uh, cultural community, your involvement in terms of creating, building, bringing to fruition these artistic endeavors like museums. Does that is that a selling point? Does that play into your business and your and your being picked by people who, if they want to build a home that can that can where they can show their art, I would think they'd want a builder that has the kind of experience in what it takes to show art in a Museum for a city, let alone how to build a hallway or how to build an open plan that helps for the art that they want to show.
2: I think um, my, my reputation, my own reputation as a builder, um, it, it doesn't apply that much to it. I think my own reputation as a builder of of very of of upscale spaces to exhibit art, um, it's been years in the making, years in the building, and it's basically. It's also um, a collection of names, uh, Jamie, as, you know, because Mr. and Mrs. Whatever, um, I build their home and then their best friends come and they'll hire me because they've spoken so well about my quality and craftsmanship and, and professionalism. So, but I tell you what is a direct relationship between the arts and my business is Art Basel. Art Basel came into town And and I can tell you over 20 times I met a client that bought a house or bought a lot or bought an apartment and we rebuilt it or built it for them. And I would ask them, I always ask my clients, what brings me to Miami? And the answer constantly was, you know, we came down for Art Basel and we went to uh, to Jamie's house for dinner. And we sat outside in his garden and it was the most perfect night ever because it's December. And we came from New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, et cetera, and it was freezing. And we looked at each other and we said, honey, why don't we buy a property here? I mean, look at this place. And that story repeated itself again and again. We came down for Art Basel to buy some art, to look at art, and we thought, why don't we buy a space here? And so that has a direct relationship to how my business grew in quality quality because um, these are serious collectors that are coming down and they have already built several homes and they're ultra refined and they're bringing their super refined architects and designers and so it just keeps elevating the bar right so then these people move here what else do they need they want opera they want ballet they want the best restaurants, they want deliveries, they want the best laundry service, they want the best uh, driver service, they want the best everything. And Miami had to deliver. And uh, so, so this has been the constant wheel of- a snowball. The snowball of, for, for the economy is very demanding people, uh, mostly Americans coming from up north, and today San Francisco is a huge factor,
0: well, you say snowball. It's more like a melting snowball, right? It's <laughs> something quite like, I think quite like a 70 degree evening in December to get you to buy <laughs> some art. But, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, as a destination, I think you make a great point, right? It's Art Basel. You come, everyone descends on Miami to appreciate and be surrounded by wonderful art, but also th- the community mm-hmm. of people that appreciate wonderful art. And it and it just sort of dovetails. So, So I think... Um, when you put all of those pieces together, as you mentioned, you got Art Basel. You have um, great, great work. You have then the entertainment that uh, gives people a reason to stay and then want to live. Uh, it's it's a ecosystem that that you just can't you can't beat. Right? When I, I, mean, I feel like um, when when you design a destination for people. You kind of, you get people in the door, you get people to stay, <laughs> and then you get people to, if they if they want to leave, they're walking out with uh, with something. Um, and that's, it seems um, the strategy, I'm not sure if that was the intention, but it seemed to, for Miami, but it seemed to work.
2: It did work. Miami, Miami is a new city. Miami is open to new things. And Miami is not snobbish, and it's not uh, about pedigree. Miami welcomes everyone. And sometimes you get hurt because you shouldn't welcome everyone until you learn your lesson. But Miami is an open city. Everyone is welcome here because very few are from Miami. Uh, In your last interview, the young man said that he's a fifth uh, generation uh, Miamian, born in Miami. And, uh, And, you know, that's a rarity. But this is why people feel comfortable here because no one in Miami ever tells you go back to where you came from. And there's something very, very important about this uh, comment that I just said, Uh, feeling welcome in the community. It It is up to the civic leaders, it's up to the museums, cultural institutions to make everyone welcome and to represent everyone in this community.
1: Well, listen, first of all, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you and congratulations on everything you've done for the artistic community here in Miami. You've been a major, major force in, uh, in the growth of culture in this city. I also would be remiss if I didn't ask you this one question. Art Basel obviously is being canceled this year because of COVID. You are a major builder. I'm just curious, are you seeing the incredible dr- demand sight unseen for homes that are from people who are leaving major cities or New York because of COVID, et cetera, and just coming down here in force?
2: Um, Yes. Uh, Unseen. We have never been busier. Let me just start by saying that we were already busy with our local projects. Our projects take about a year or more to cultivate, right? I meet a client, you know, we discuss the project, we discuss architects, designers, and it's a year before we even start drawing. So that's my typical project. So I had cultivated enough business for 2020 and 2021. And then came the wave. And the wave, I, can't, I, I, I cannot tell you how big the wave is. I mean, houses are selling um, 10, 20 plus million dollars with people without visiting the houses. They're looking at them with a camera. Their brokers are basically showing it to them on FaceTime and they're buying these homes at those prices. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's as exciting as the conversation we had about Art banzer. These people moving into town, they're amazing. They're going to bring us art and, and, and investment and money because these are not the type of people that come here to just play golf 24-7. They're going to play golf, but they're going to invest and they're going to want to meet people and find out what's going on in the city. And so... Uh, the answer is yes, Jamie. We have never been busier in our 28 years and we're trying to control growth. Um, I run a company that controls growth very strictly. So we're not taking every project. as a matter of fact, we're not taking most of them. Um, we have to stay um, we have to stay measured. The interesting thing about what I am worried about is, of course, the law of supply and demand, and I can already see the suppliers abusing the asking prices, and this is not good. You don't want the house next to you to sell for five million dollars if it's worth two, because you know in the long run it's not good. So but I see it. So as
0: we close I our, our episode today, I wanted to to ask you one more question. Um, as some of our listeners are in the real estate industry, and some of them are agents and developers. Based on all the things you just said, and I love, I love the, the point that you just recently made, what would you recommend or say to people that are, that are looking at Miami or perhaps even in Miami um, and how they see the opportunities uh, as it relates to um, this, this demand and the excitement around the arts and what the arts represents for the future of the city? What would you say to those folks in the industry that are looking closely in this space um, as someone who who's who's been here and, and been running uh, running an operation for the past twenty nine years,
2: uh, so the question ah, is about both. what would I say to the newcomers or to the people that have been here. Both. Uh, I'm very bullish in Miami. I have been I have been a big fan of Miami and I believe in Miami. I have been here for forty years now. I remember Hurricane Andrew hit Miami. Uh, Key Biscayne was destroyed. Water came in from one side to the other. Everyone said Key Biscayne is over. Miami Beach, no one's going to ever buy a house on the water. I tell you within a year, less than a year, people were buying back those houses for record prices. And we'll look at where they are today. So, of course, we do have, I mean, I, I do believe that there's a global, global warming issue. Um, I just don't believe it's happening as quickly. And I think people moving here just want to enjoy the house on the water and they want, if they can afford it, and they want to enjoy living on the beach if they can afford it. But even if you can't, any investment in Miami is a good investment. I am very, very bullish on this market uh, real estate-wise. I am very... um, optimistic about the art and culture scene in Miami and where it's gonna go in the next two or three, five years. Um, you look at all of our museums, um, all of our museums have grown exponentially, not in quantity, in quality with, we have some of the most amazing directors in these museums, um, the private collections. So we talk about the arts and we talk about the cultures miami has a bright future what we need to fix in miami again the government needs to fix traffic and education. <laughs> that's
1: that, that makes sense to me <laughs> less traffic i'm in maybe <laughs> they should be educated on the traffic would be on the on way the
2: it's not sustainable for us to to sit in traffic so long. It's not so that people don't want to, you know, traffic was one of the factors that people avoid in every city and Miami, you know, is get was getting really bad. We forgot about it because our, our short term memory, uh, we forgot about it because of COVID. So the streets are kind of still empty. But you know, with how many thousand people move here every day? How many, every one of these buildings uh, brings three, 400 cars into that street? Um, and so, and they keep coming and they keep coming. And of course the, on the education side, I think, uh Uh, you know, we, we, we have a lot of work to do. It's funny
1: you bring that up because we were just talking to somebody in LA and we were asking what's COVID like? And they said, I'm loving it. My hour and a half commute is now 12 minutes. There's nobody on the street.
0: So, so listen, so I wanted to, 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 to end this episode. I wanted to thank you very much um, Waleed for spending the time with us and sharing um, your wonderful insights on uh, the culture in community here on the real estate.
1: Thank you very much, Waleed. Hope to to speak to you again soon. Thank you. And I hope that um, what
2: I said uh, will inform many of your listeners.